morning church if you are seeing this it means that i am still in my quarantine and um i have actually contracted covid 19 a couple of days ago but we thank god for the usage of technology um, that this morning i'm still able to preach to you uh, through the video now this morning we are celebrating the mjyf sunday um, we thank God for the gift of youth among us. Often we say that the youths, they are the future of the church. But indeed, the youths, they are not just the future of the church, they are the presence of the church as well. To be a youth 30 or 40 years ago is so much different than being a youth now. We are living in the 21st century where the environment is so challenging for our youth to be godly. Now, I'm not saying that it was easy back then, a few decades ago, to be a godly youth back then. But I think all of us, we can agree that it is of tremendous challenge to be a godly youth at this time and age. Life was much simpler back then. School setting was much simpler back then. Youths nowadays, they are tempted left, right, and center. With the whole digitalization of the whole world today, the availability of uh, resources, online resources, both good and bad, uh, our youths are really challenged to live a godly life. Our passage this morning warns us that in the later time, more and more people will abandon truth, faith, to follow heretical teachings. Starting with First uh, Timothy chapter 4, verse 1, it says here, if you can just read together with me, the Spirit clearly says that in later times, some will abandon the faith and follow deceiving spirits and things taught by demons. Now, it is interesting that Paul uses the phrase later times here as he writes concerning the future, the times that is to come. The later time. Christians have been living in the later time for quite some times now. When would the exact end time be? We don't know. But truly, we can say that we are now living in the later times. The Bible warns us that there will be many who are deceived by the things taught by demons. Now, the, the devils do not wish for us to follow God. That is a given. And often the times, its best um, attempt is not to persecute Christians, but rather to put out lies that, is, that are covered with a bit of truth so that we would take the bait. In our world today, it is not uncommon to encounter cows nowadays everywhere in the world, and Sarawak is not spared. Let me just give you one example. If I can show you this picture probably lesser nowadays, but before pandemic time, I'm not sure about Kuching, but in Cebu, in Bintulu, those towns that I, uh, I grew up in, I minister in, I've seen these uh, young uh, adults uh, in, in smart casual with, you know, white uh, lawn sleeve shirt and black pants riding on bicycle who are there. 
They are the moments, all right? They are followers of moments. They are the cows. We have to be very careful, my brothers and sisters in Christ. I remember a couple of years ago, I was preparing um, for prayer meeting and I was online searching for uh, a relevant video about Thanksgiving. And so I searched on YouTube and then I came to find this meaningful, uh, wonderfully done video about thanksgiving and so i thought yeah this, this will be the right one this will be the one that i will put in uh and use for my prayer meeting uh, but at the end of that video suddenly i saw the moment's logo appear uh the church of jesus christ of latest day sense it, it is shown up i believe that cults they are really investing a lot of money in mass media and online contents. Not just the Mormons, but you have others like Jehovah Witness. And from China, we have the Eastern Lightning. The other day, I deliberately listened to a teaching video by the Eastern Lightning Group, Dongfang Santian. I just want to get to know them better. And I testify that what they are teaching online is a deceitful scheme. You know what they say, they compare themselves to be the disciples of Jesus who were persecuted by the Pharisees. So they liken themselves, the Eastern Lightning Church followers, they liken themselves to be um, the modern day disciples of Jesus. And they say that the churches nowadays are like the Pharisees during Jesus' time. But the truth is, they believe, they actually believe that their founder um, is Jesus reincarnated? They don't tell you that up front. They subtly try to win you over and then, you know, try to win um, you without you realizing. My brothers and sisters in Christ, we really have to be careful, especially my young um, friends who are listening to this. We have to be very careful because the Bible warns us that especially towards the end times, many will be deceived. Remember the only biblical gospel that we subscribe to. What is that gospel? That Jesus Christ, the Son of God, fully God, who became fully man for our sake, to die on the cross for us, to pay the penalty of our sins, and so that in Him and through Him, we can come to have forgiveness in God. And Jesus was resurrected on the third day, and He's now seated at the right hand, of the Father Almighty. And one day, Jesus Christ will come again to judge the living and the dead. We only subscribe to one biblical, true gospel account. There is no other gospel account for us. Now, the subsequent verses says this, Such teachings come through hypocritical liars whose conscience have been sealed as with a hot iron. They forbid people to marry and order them to abstain from certain foods which God created to be received with thanksgiving by those who believe and who know the truth. Now, the Bible warns us of hypocritical liars who base their teachings not on God's will but on their skewed conscience. Verse 3 gives us some examples. For examples, they forbid people to get married they order others to abstain from certain kind of foods. Maybe in our today's context, things like the halal and versus the non-halal food. 
But the truth is, verse 3 says that God had created them for us to receive with thanksgiving. Now, in the Old Testament times, uh, the kosher law or uh, the dietary law was given to the community of Jewish people to distinguish them from other tribes, other uh, nations around them at that time. Some scholars say that it is a hygienic benefit that comes alongside as well uh, when God ordered them to eat certain kinds of food in certain ways. But whatever the case, whether it is uh, hygienic or religious or some other uh, reasons, by the time we enter New Testament, now Jesus Christ becomes the only way that fulfills all that religious um, requirements for righteousness. The Old Testament was pointing towards the coming Messiah, who is the Lamb of God, the perfect Lamb of God. Because of that, salvation that we have found now in Jesus Christ, religious laws such as washing hands in certain ways, uh, dietary laws such as eating uh, certain food and you are forbidden to eat certain food, this kind of religious laws no longer apply. These are precursors that point towards the real deal. In the Old Testament, uh, all these were pointing towards Jesus, the fulfillment that is now found in Jesus Christ in the New Testament. The Old Covenant was in wait for the better covenant. What is the content of the New Covenant? Salvation by grace alone. Salvation by faith alone. Salvation by Christ alone. Meaning, we do not earn anything. We do not earn our salvation by what we do or what we give. Rather, simply by believing and obeying Jesus Christ our Lord. And yet there are people who teach that in order to achieve salvation, one is forbidden to eat certain food. But the truth is told to us in verses 4 to 5. For everything God created is good and nothing is to be rejected if it is received with thanksgiving because it is consecrated by the word of God and prayer. God has given us food to receive in thanksgiving. There isn't such a thing called halal food versus non-halal food in the kingdom of God. And you can't obtain salvation by what you do and you can't obtain salvation by what you eat or what you do not eat. Do not be deceived, my friends. Now, we'll jump to verse 7, which says, Have nothing to do with godless myths and old wives' tales. Rather, train yourself to be godly. Now, godliness is something that we inherited together with our salvation in Christ. When describing our union in Christ, we use languages like we become the body of Christ. We abide in him. We are united in Christ. So godliness is something that we inherited rather than what we gain. Yet here, Paul uses the language of training as he talks about godliness. What does it mean to be godly? A good way to understand godliness is Christ-likeness. But what does it mean uh, you know, to be Christ-like, to be more like Christ? That is to think like Christ, to speak like Christ, to love like Christ, to be more 
matured like Christ all around it. John Wesley, the founder of Methodism, he described salvation as a process. John Wesley said that even before we were enabled to respond to God, God had given us what he called prevenient grace. We were sinners who couldn't do anything to help ourselves, but God gives us prevenient grace so that we are given the opportunity to come to know him and eventually accept him by his grace. Now, the moment we receive Jesus, a few things happen, at least according to how a good Methodist uh, would understand it. Number one, justification. All right, I'm sharing with you the four phases of salvation. The first one, justification. Justification is that declaration that God made for us in Christ, saying that we are now justified from our sins because Jesus Christ has paid the penalty. You know, we initially, we were the one who was supposed to wrought in uh, eternal punishment. But because of what Christ has done, we are now justified. We are allowed to walk away free because Christ has paid the price for us. Now, the second thing that happened is regeneration, or some people call that rebirth, reborn, uh, becoming a new creation. Not only we are justified before the Lord when we believe in Jesus, something profound happened to us. We become a new creation. Regenerations, or sometimes termed as rebirth, is a process that enables a believer to have this ability to resist evil, to resist temptation. And the third thing is sanctification. Sanctification is the ongoing process of, um, you know, of sanctification, of growth uh, in the life of a disciple. One must rely on the Holy Spirit on this work of sanctification. As we mature in faith and mature in our walk with the Lord, we will be abiding more and more in Christ and we will be sinning lesser and lesser and become more and more Christ-like. That is what sanctification is all about. And number four, the final phase of uh, salvation is ultimately perfection or in other terms, glorification. We become perfect. We are perfected in Christ. We, we are recreated in the new heaven and new earth to live a perfect life in eternity, to be glorified in Christ our Lord. Now, while all the four phases of salvation are solely by grace alone, are solely by faith alone, solely by Christ alone, yet we also need to respond to God in his work. To be justified and regenerated, we first have to come to recognize the state of hopelessness in us and the depths of our sins. Then we come to find out the way from sin that is in Christ Jesus. We then choose to respond, choose to be open towards Jesus. We respond by saying, yes, I want to follow Jesus. I want to have Jesus. We receive Jesus as our personal Lord and Savior. So what defines Christ-likeness is really the Christ in us. Uh, is really by the grace of God, is really the Christ that we have now found. 
because the only way that we are enabled to be with God and be more godly, to be more Christ-like, is really through Christ alone, by grace alone, by faith alone. We enter through the process of justification and regeneration um, throughout uh, sanctification and perfection um, by the righteousness of Christ. We journey with him throughout this whole process of salvation. Now let us continue with verses 8 to 9. For physical training is of some value, but godliness has value for all things, holding promise for both the present life and life to come. This is a trustworthy saying that deserves full acceptance. Now I love verse 8 because it brings comfort to big-sized people like myself. Now, don't get me wrong. Of course, physical fitness is important. I wish I looked like uh, probably maybe Reverend Thing, <laughs> right? I wish I looked like uh, Andy Lau with six packs and, and a muscular body. But what is even more important than physical fitness is actually our spiritual well-being. Paul didn't deny the need for physical training. He said that it is of some value. Yet godliness is the one that has value for all things because our bodies are going to pass away one day. Today is uh, MJYF Sunday, and, and so I wish to speak especially to the youth here. As youth, you go through tremendous hormonal and physical development. I remember growing up feeling confused about who I am, my identity. I, I grew up... Um, as a youth, I, I felt inferior to my peers because I, I was not physically fit. Neither am I now, but I was not physically fit back then. Uh, I was not academically doing well compared to my peers. But I thank God that he revealed to me, especially through verse 8 here, that even though people value physical appearance and indeed physical Fitness, physical appearance does have some value, um, but it is godliness that has value for all things, both the present and the life to come. Now, um, notice the word here is godliness, not just spiritual, you know, not just spiritual godliness. Um, uh, yeah, it is both the spiritual and the physical. That's my point here. Godliness is not just about the physical it is also about the spiritual. It's not just about the spiritual, but it is also about the physical. Godliness is about what we think and what we do as well. And so, my friends, uh, no matter how well you may look like, your beauty, your, your, your handsomeness, I don't know if there's such a word called handsome, handsomeness, but you know what I mean. Your, your beauty will eventually pass away one day. On the other hand, no matter how unattractive you are or how distractive you are, you can cultivate godliness. You can cultivate Christ-likeness, which will benefit you both now in the present life. It will bring you tremendous benefit spiritually, physically, now in the present time and also in the life to come. And so this is my encouragement to all of you, especially the youths. As I say at the beginning of my sermon, it is challenging 
to be a godly youth at this time, at this age. Yet godliness is really, is exactly what God is looking for among us. My brothers and sisters in Christ, salvation is a journey. And so let us take time to cultivate godliness. Let us take time to hear from God and to respond to him and to journey with him until Christ is fully formed in us so that we become like Christ, so that we become Christ, be united with him at the last day. Amen. Let us now spend a bit of time in personal reflection and prayer. Now, there are a few questions that we, we can ask ourselves. The first one, salvation is a process. Where are you in this journey? And where are you heading towards? Second, in what area do you want to train yourself to be more godly this year? We'll spend time reflecting and responding to God and in one minute time, let us do that right now. <laughs> 